Hey, everyone. This is Chris Ryan from The Ringer. As many of you have heard by now, we lost a treasured colleague and friend over the weekend. Jonathan Charks passed away on Saturday. John was 34. He leaves behind a wife and a son, and we are obviously mourning his loss and sending all of our love to his family right now. If you go to theringer.com slash Jonathan Charks, that's J-O-N-A-T-H-A-N-T-J-A-R-K-S, you will find a memorial page for John which has links to his GoFundMe that benefits his family and the amazing writing he did throughout his experience. I encourage you to go there. And if you can, please support the Charks family. Briefly, I will just say that John was among the first people that we hired to work for The Ringer. So he was instrumental in defining the voice and perspective of the site. He has as much to do with what this place is as anyone else. And throughout his experience with cancer, John communicated eloquently about the challenges he was facing, both through his writing and his podcasting. You could never stop John from talking about his passions. It's one of the things I loved about him. Over the last few months, you know, whenever we would talk, whenever I would reach out to see how he was doing, I would try to keep it very John-focused. And the next thing I knew, we would be talking about James Harden or Better Call Saul. He really loved this stuff. Uh, he loved talking about it, celebrating it, debating it, illuminating it. We're going to keep putting out our pods and writing while we grieve but we wanted to let folks know that John was in our hearts and that his family was in our thoughts. Thanks for listening. Week one. How about that first late closing? We're going to talk Mahomes. That's right. And I have a bunch of other observations from week one. We're going to have Damian Woody, who's going to be joining us throughout the NFL season of what he saw from Kansas City, what he saw from Tom Brady, what he saw in the Minnesota Green Bay game, and see if he agrees with me on the Tua stuff. Uh, we've got college football. Bama drops after winning at Texas. A little recap of a different feel about Florida a week after I watched Anthony Richardson for the second time. So just a lot of stuff from the weekend of 20-plus hours on the couch watching football and life advice. It's Ryan Rosillo podcast presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA final starts now and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs and FanDuel. Find what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like three-minute markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming, so please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 and older, 18 plus in D.C., and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. La Quinta by Wyndham has everything you need for your next business trip. From free high-speed Wi-Fi to fitness centers to free bright side breakfast with fresh waffles, eggs, and more, book direct at LQ.com. Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Let's talk some Chiefs football. That was impressive. Kansas City starts off their season beating Arizona 44-21 on the road. The second best offensive game of Mahomes' career, if you don't look just at the raw stats, but drive performance. So every drive, the Chiefs did this. Mahomes is the quarterback. Second best ever. As well, look, it's his career because he hasn't been anywhere else. So, yeah, no Tyreek Hill game one. Maybe it ends up becoming some kind of issue. It definitely wasn't against an Arizona team that I think we like their safeties. We don't like their corners. Um, it didn't feel like there was any resistance whatsoever. But I think it just kind of cycles back to 
I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong on this one, but it feels like there is a public media rush to try to turn on Mahomes or doubt this guy or to reset like, well, he's been this, he's been this, he's been this. But now and a lot of this has to do with Tyreek Hill moving on to Miami. And we understand like he's a complete game changer, scares the hell out of you every single time. You're always worried about like the two busted coverages against him, which you could lock him in for 65, 70 snaps. The two times you don't, it's 14 points. And it was somebody like Mahomes with a huge arm is going to be able to get him the football. And they're working together this well, so they kind of understand each other's tendencies, which is a really, really important part of any of these great combos between a quarterback and a wide receiver. But it just makes me wonder, like when somebody's clearly this good, all right, he's that special. Mahomes is going to be one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time, uh, maybe because he was the anointed number one so soon, which I normally always push back on. But with him, I was like, yeah, I think it actually is him. Not to say I called it, but he was... He's probably one of the rare athletes that I've ever not had some kind of resistance because I always think we screw up early. You know, when it's early on in somebody's career and you're like, this guy could be this, this and this. More often than not, I'll be right by going, I don't know. I got to wait. Like if somebody's going to be a top five player or a top five quarterback and I see two years of it with Mahomes, I went, yeah, I think this is kind of who he is. But yet, whether it's, I don't know, we can go back to Mike Sandoz articles, which as I mentioned in defense of the Lamar Jackson criticism, he found one guy out of 50 that works in the NFL that was a little bit more critical of Lamar than everybody else is. And then that became the quote. And that quote got turned into like this overall thought on Lamar Jackson. It's like, no, that's not how it works. But Sando had two different ones on Mahomes where one was like, take away Tyreek, there's going to be major drop off. Again, it's one game, so we don't have the answer to this yet. It might change who they are, but it might not be much of a drop-off. The more critical one that Andy Reid was even asked about in the follow-up, which is what's fascinating about this Sando article exercise these QB tiers every year, is like he finds one guy to shit on a starter, and then local media is like, so Mike Sando's article, one NFL exec, shit on, fill in the blank, your thoughts, as if the coach would ever go, yeah, I thought he was right on. We get some real limitations here behind center. Uh, but the other one on Mahomes that was far more critical and specific was take away his first read and then everything falls apart. Everything falls apart, man. Everything. I don't think everything falls apart. And then like I like to do with anything like this, I'll think back historically and go, wait, do we always do this? And we maybe kind of do, but it still feels a little different to me. And I could be wrong. With Brady, it was a system guy cheats. <laughs> Like there were after the sixth Super Bowl in New England and then Tampa getting his seventh. I'm like, there's still a guy out there at Buffalo Wow Wings with a couple of Lowenbrows in him. Again, I just like referencing Lowenbrow because nobody orders it. Because uh, I think one time a guy did when we were bartending, we were like, are you fucking nuts? And then somebody's like, we actually do have it. The six pack's been there for like two years. We're like, well, we're going to give him the entire sixer. Moving on. I think. <laughs> I think there is still the guy that's like, you know, if it weren't for deflating the footballs, like deflating the footballs is your last line of defense and it's a weak one. But I guess people have still kind of done it doubting Grady, but I just don't even know why that guy would leave the house because there's clear there's clear like nobody likes you. Manning was a little bit more uh, justified because he was three and six to start his playoff career. Uh, yeah, puts up numbers, can't win the close ones, didn't beat Florida at Tennessee. I'm telling you, man. I mean, if you're younger, that was like this carryover, awful resume thing for Manning. Uh, listeners around my age or older remember it well, but it would be repeated as if fact. And it's like, that's why Manning can't do all these things. And I think you could also argue Manning should have probably won a little bit more. Brady was in his way. Uh, and, you know, look, Manning, the the poetic part of it all is that he got carried 
by a defense to win his second Super Bowl. So, you know, maybe things even out a little bit. Uh, Rodgers, the playoff losses, the playoff losses at home more recently, although I feel like he turned around some of the momentum in his career where it felt like he was slipping a bit, but he's 0-4 against San Francisco. And let's face it, I think people, his approval rating has gone down quite a bit in the last couple of years for maybe a couple different reasons. Breeze, there's definitely been some anti-Breeze people that are out there and, and even more so of doubt despite numbers, despite so many years of getting that team to just 500 when the defense couldn't stop anyone. Oh, it's Sean Payton's system. It's all the different things, whatever. Like, I don't understand why we spend as much time doubting the first tier guys when, in fact, we spend even more time questioning the Staffords, the Ryans, the Rivers, uh, who passing yards wise, not the best stat because the game is more open and this generation was going to benefit from that. But we're talking about Rivers, who's sixth in yards, Ryan, who's eighth and Stafford, who's going to go into the top 10. And we're all over the place on those quarterbacks. So why are we doing it to the top tier guys? Because again, if I were doing my own quarterback tier group, I would go the elite guys, the 7 to 12 group that I love and I'm good with, and then 13 to 22 where I'm constantly asking my front office if I'm on the coaching staff, could we do better at this position? And then maybe after 22 or 23, we have a real problem. Either this guy sucks or our guy's playing on Saturdays as of now. So it gets me back to Mahomes. You want to be critical of something. It doesn't mean he's he should be removed from ever having any criticism whatsoever, but maybe even Jimmy Johnson beginning of last year, which would have been a podium take of him saying, I'd take Herbert over Mahomes. Like, would you? What else is it? Is it the Super Bowl loss? Because I'll tell you right now, that loss against Tampa made me like Mahomes even more. And if he didn't have an offsides call at home against New England in a big playoff game, Mahomes might have another one. He went 30 of 39 yesterday, five touchdowns. Let's look at the depth chart. He's got Kelsey, who may be the best tight end, unless you prioritize blocking, then it's Kittle and his combination. Uh, but Kelsey stays healthier, so I'll give it to Kelsey. You got Juju coming in, uh, Valdez Scandling coming in as well. Uh, Nicole Hardman's still there. Um, Edwards Alaire, by the way, looking fresh, like all these running backs, like Saquon, like Fournette. I mean, Saquon looked awesome yesterday, but that's that week one stuff. Not saying it's going to fall off, but it's just kind of one of those little reminders. You're like, man, guys are flying around right now because they haven't gotten hit in a year. Um, and then even Pacheco went longest yard there late in the game, just getting yards all over the place. And McKinnon, number one, you're like, oh, that's right, McKinnon. I love that guy. Everywhere he is, I always kind of like him. So there are some options. They have changed things around. And more importantly, it's about the defense because that's another thing that's on the Mahomes resume. The last four years of starters, if you go on Sandoz combined defense and special teams, EPA, Kansas City has ranked 27th, 16th, 18th, and 23rd. So he is doing this on his own, and they're playing more rookies, starting three of them on the defense, five rookies that are playing significant snaps. 50% of the snaps from last year for Kansas City's defense are gone, and they've got a tough schedule. It was supposed to be tough against Kyler at Arizona. It wasn't. Herbert, Matt Ryan, Brady. Carr, and then Josh Allen. So we'll see what the schedule says. But we had James Jones dumping on him on this podcast. We had Bart Scott ripping him, getting a few things wrong there, uh, saying to be out of the playoffs. It feels like the doubt for him is different than just the doubt when you're the headline, right? The headliner QB is always going to have some of that doubt. But with Mahomes, it just always feels a little bit different. And there was almost this anticipation from some corners, this waiting to see it if it's going to look bad, despite zero evidence that this offense ever looks bad with Mahomes behind center couple other quick thoughts. I did watch the entire Arizona game. Kyler on the other side. The moonwalk out of the pocket is so impressive. Then to not be able to see who to throw to, not as impressive. 
Uh, we'll TBD on that one. No Hopkins. We know he's a completely different quarterback, despite the physical gifts. No Moore as well, who is really a playmaker for them. Uh, Arizona's missed a couple guys, but still, whatever. Uh, I have a Lamar contract segment that I'm going to do this week. I want to talk about how it compares to the DAC situation, how it compares to the other guaranteed money, because we still are fucking terrible when it comes to talking about NFL contracts. We act like the player is the most disrespected person in the public spotlight. And then we actually get terms like, oh, okay, this guy's just betting on himself. Like they made a pretty good offer. See if they could pull an Atlanta Braves positional player extension here and take him out of arbitration. Again, not the same, but kind of the same. Oh, he wants to play out the year and then we'll see what happens. And by the way, they have the mechanism that I hate the franchise tag to be able to avoid having to do this all over again. But we're really bad at it. And I'm going to remind everyone. All right. A couple other quick thoughts. Two wins that I think mean nothing. Chicago. I don't know what to do with that game. Uh, Fields completed eight passes. I'm rooting for Fields. He's in an impossible situation. I think that's an awesome, just emotional win. The Pettis throw was a completely busted, weird-ass play. So, I mean, it's great that he saw him. I don't know what that thing means. And that's it. Other than if I'm a Bears fan, I had a blast. In, on a day where it didn't look like it was going to work because I think Fields had three completed passes. On the other side for Trey Lance, a little early to get... I don't know that you take anything from that game and say it means anything. Another one, the Giants going for two. Brian Dable laying into Daniel Jones. I feel bad for Giants fans. They have to watch a backup all season because that's what Daniel Jones is. He's a backup. This isn't going to work. He threw that pick in the end zone and they did not want to let him throw the football again to try to get back in this game because Saquon won was terrific and it actually worked. How many times are you going to see an NFL team go for a winning drive with the running back as the main option? You're not going to see it very often. I don't know that you'll see it double digits times, double digit times a season. You might not see it five, seriously. And that's what they did with Saquon. And then ironically, they did throw it and then they got the two point conversion. It worked. I think it means nothing, although they beat what we think will be a good Tennessee team. What Justin Jefferson did to the Packers yesterday, the overall numbers could have been worse as they slowed it down. Uh, and Cousins also missed him, underthrew him on another one where he was behind everybody. If you look at Jefferson's separation rate, it was just, it was called Rhode Island on the next gen stats. Two more teams here, and it was the same game Miami against New England. I'll say three. I got one. I got a few notes here that I'm not going to get to. That's another thing, a little PSA. We're not going to mention 32 teams every Monday. It'll be all right. You'll get through it. Miami's a better football team than New England. Let's start with the New England side of this thing. If you're not going to have a number one receiver, okay. Does that mean you can have a number one edge guy? No. Not if you're in New England. I went back and looked at it. What's the last, the true number one receiver? Now, you could talk about Gronk in 17, that, well, that's how the offense worked. And by the way, all this stuff worked when Brady was there. So it's hard to criticize any of the personnel decisions. Uh, I just think these personnel decisions that became habit, it's a lot harder to justify them and talk about them when Brady isn't there anymore. Uh, Welker put up massive yards in 2012. He had almost 1,600 yards. Jules is like a one in New England system. I don't know that we would call Julian Edelman just an overall one. There aren't 32 ones. I don't know if there's 15 of them. Um, Maybe it's Randy Moss in 2009. The number one edge guy, like if you said New England has a real edge disruptor. We're going to ask Damian Woody about the current guys. I don't know if that list is 10. It's kind of like my NBA franchise changing players. Just edge guys that kill everything and screw up. You're spending all week game planning for that one person. Is that list 10 in the NFL? I don't know. Um, The last guy New England had that would even come close to fitting that, and I even think this is a stretch, would be Chandler Jones in 2015. 
I thought he was really good. I don't know that he was like great, great. And then if you look at some of the other stuff on the top 100, which by the way, going back to Mahomes, the players voted Jonathan Taylor, um, Devontae Adams, and Cooper Cup ahead of Patrick Mahomes on the players' top 100 vote. So looking at New England's roster, Judon's in the top 100, and Mac Jones is 85, which is too high. He's behind Kirk Cousins and Vaughn Miller. No one's going to confuse me for a Kirk Cousins buddy uh, system over here, but Cousins is a better quarterback than Mac Jones is at this point, and he's, and he's done more to prove that. So Mac, so your two top 100s if you're in New England, I think the Chargers have eight or nine. Again, this is just a poll by the players. It doesn't mean everything, but it is something. It's not nothing. It's something. Like, New England's talent is, like, where is it? They don't spend on receivers, but they do. They normally don't. But New England, if you look at their, their cap hit stuff by position, they've spent the third most on receivers. So when I'm normally writing down my notes, be like, ah, they don't really put a lot into that except whiffing on the draft picks. Oh, wait, they did. They do have a major wide receiver cap hit this year. Well, wait. With these guys, that's even worse. They don't spend on QB because they don't have to. They have a mid-first rounder in Mac. Uh, they don't spend on running back. No issue there. They don't spend on D-line this year. They're in the bottom half of the old line. It's like, where the hell's the money going for a team that doesn't ever want a number one receiver, doesn't want a number one edge guy, has a rookie quarterback on a super friendly team contract? Like, where's, where's the talent? Well, a lot of it's on Miami. A lot of it is on Miami. Bringing in Hill, bringing in Landry. Some of the defensive guys that we're going to be hearing about all season long. But I'll say something that I don't think will be, it's going to be popular with Miami fans. I'm afraid. Do you want me to get aggressive? You want me to share a take? I'm afraid to share something you think about at home and write down in your legal pad and go, I can't say this after week one. I'm going to say, I feel like two is a backup. And this is not confirmation bias. I want Tua to be great. I thought he was going to be a lot better. I loved him out of Alabama. I love the way he moved safeties with his shoulders and his eyes. I love the zip on all the intermediate throws. I like the way that I thought he just went through his progressions perfectly. I thought he had more juice on the football when he was in college. He was also throwing to like all pros everywhere. I didn't like what I saw yesterday, despite the win, despite the numbers. Last thought, if the NFC East were a product, I would try to return it. I hate the NFC East. I hate what it does to my Sunday nights. The Giants did it for years, and the Cowboys did it again. It's just the worst. Oh, cool. NFC East team is going to suck on Sunday after I've been sitting here for 20 hours watching football. Get in on the Monday night football action with FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Join today to get started with $150 in free bets guaranteed when you place your first $5 bet. Just sign up with the promo code Ryan, R-Y-E-N, to get in on the action. Then you turn game day into payday all season long. So Rudy won a bet. Kyle won a bet. I won my last week pick on Pittsburgh. So I'm staying with my Monday night bet, which you can find on FanDuel right now. It is Seattle plus six and a half. At home against the Denver Broncos. Monday dogs, Monday home dogs. You know the rule on that one. So we're doing, this is one of the most public money bet games as far as how much is on the favorite. So that's why I went with Seattle plus the six and a half. Clearly, I don't think Seattle's a good football team. Um, but everybody's hot here out of the jump. And I think that's, this is, by the way, this is my one for the competition. So the Pittsburgh one was just to pick 
So I got to win this one to stay even with Saruti and Kyle. So there you go. Play your way and bet on more than just the final score. Wager on everything from touchdowns to total yards to catches. You can even combine your bets for a chance at a bigger payout with the same game parlay. Don't fumble your chance to get $150 in free bets, win or lose, with promo code RYAN, R-Y-E-N. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued is not withdrawable. Free bets expire 14 days after receipt. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com forward slash RG. Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, and Virginia. 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit org forward slash chat in Connecticut. 1-800-9-WITH-IT-INDIANA. Visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas. 1-877-770-STOP Louisiana. one 877 Hope New York or text Hope New York to 467 369 New York. Tennessee Redline, 1 800 889 9789. Tennessee, 1 800 522 4700 Wyoming or visit 1 800 gambler.net in West Virginia. It's our man Damian Woody who's going to join us throughout the season, uh, joining us now from some, some downtime at ESPN. What's up, man? I'm excited to do this. So let's talk some ball. I'm good, man. How you doing, brother? I'm great. Uh, I feel great because I, I started the show talking about Mahomes. I, I just don't understand why people were like, I don't know, man. I don't know. Like, look, I get the Tyreek's <laughs> terrific, and he kind of changes your your throwing quadrants, you know. But what did <laughs> what did you see from a guy that that lit up Arizona yesterday? I, listen, I saw a guy that was, you know, coming into it. I, I felt like with Tyreek gone, he could actually become an even better quarterback, meaning that. So much of what Patrick Mahomes has done with Tyreek Hill was kind of like off-platform. Tyreek, you know, goes streaking down the field and and uh, because his speed scared everybody that he would make those insane kind of plays. And then once Tyreek left, you know, I figured, you know what, he's actually, he might actually become even more disciplined as a quarterback as far as like his setup and going through progressions and all those type of things. And I mean, listen, what we saw yesterday was a guy that was, I mean, he was in total control of the offense, and and it just felt like he was finding hit all his different receivers. Obviously, we know that um, Travis Kelsey is great, but just being able to distribute the ball like a point guard is like this dude. If he continues this, he's going to be the league MVP. I know this is, this is week one, and we don't want to have any overreactions. But if he plays like this, he's going to be the league MVP this year. How fresh is everybody week one, man? It must be the best feeling ever, knowing it's never, by the way, the worst feeling, knowing that it's never going to be the same. Yeah, I always say, like, even when you report to training camp, you, like, that's the, that's the last day that your body feels 100%. So even week one, like now, like, guys aren't 100% right now. You know, September, the whole month of September is just an extension of training camp because no one's playing in, in the, no one's playing in the preseason. And so when you see bad offensive line play, the kicking game looks awful. It's because you're not, you know, you're not out there playing in real life situations. Yeah, we got joint practices, but it's just a different animal when you're playing in live pre. I mean, live games when it actually counts. On the other side for Arizona, you know, Hopkins is out, uh, Moore is out. You know, they were missing they were missing four significant guys, which is always a little tough week one. I mean, granted, you know, some guys are gone here or there, uh, but that was not inspiring from Kyler uh, for week one. 
yeah, I was actually more impressed. I got to give more, more credit and more kudos to the Chiefs defense. I mean, think about it. They've invested a lot of draft capital. They, got, they play a lot of young guys on the defensive side. They play really, really well. So if you could, if you, as much as we talk about Patrick Mahomes, let's not forget, like the Chiefs defensively, they got a lot of really young guys, really good young guys that they've drafted and developed. And they just smothered, they absolutely smothered the Arizona Cardinals yesterday. So, man, I am really, really impressed with the Kansas City Chiefs coming out of the gates. Is New England bad? They're ordinary. They're ordinary. They're a team that, first of all, when you look at New England, nobody's scared. There's not one player over there that really scares you. Who's they the best player on like, the team? Is it Judon? I mean, you could make the case for Judon. Uh, you know, you know, Christian Barmore is 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 a, is a pretty good player. Yeah, yeah. Some will say Mac Jones is the best player on the team. I mean, think about that. You know, who's their, who's their best offensive lineman? It's hard to say because they they got smoked yesterday. Like we've been talking about the past offensive line the whole preseason, and their offensive line coach went with Josh McDaniels to Las Vegas Raiders. That's going to be a problem. It's going to be a problem for New England. Now it's going to take some time, but that offensive line in New England is an issue, and you saw it yesterday against the Miami Dolphins. On the other side, like. The Dolphins roster, speaking of talent, like there felt like a significant talent gap between these two teams. Like the history is tough to get over, although Miami always finds a way to kind of like oddly mess with New England, even when you think New England's perfect over the years. But still, it's not like they were winning the division. New England would still always figure it out. But the talent gap felt alarming yesterday if you're a New England fan. Yeah, I mean, you know, you know, just like I said, you look at New England, no one scares you. That's not the same with Miami. Miami had guys that you literally have to game plan for. Tyreek Hill, Jalen Waddle. I mean, there's a lot of guys that you got to game plan for because they can just do things outside of the X's and O's that can win football games. So, yeah, you're right, man. The, the talent gap, is it, it seems really significant between Miami and New England. And the one thing about New England, man, and, and, and this even goes back to when I was playing, Bill always preaches, like, minimize mistakes. More teams find ways to lose games than to win them. That's even more paramount for, for New England now because they just don't have those difference makers, you know, on both sides of the ball that they used to have. Yeah, it's, um, you know, whether it's Brandon Jones, you know, just like a couple guys every time they come up with Miami. And it's always like that for, you know, unless you have every depth chart memorized, but it would be this moment of week one throughout the entire Sunday for me where I'd be like, oh, that guy's, that, oh, yeah, that's that dude. Or, oh, I like that guy. In Miami, it felt like, Oh, yeah, yeah, there's there's another guy. Oddly enough, though, I was – I don't know if I have too hard of a perception of Tua because I liked him so much before the draft. We've spent too many years now kind of going back and forth on this whole thing. I thought he was average at best yesterday. I know it's a win. I know what the numbers are. Um, hell, you know, you want to talk numbers. At one point, Mac Jones is 72% on his throws, and they have seven points in the fourth quarter. So, you know, like there's a lot of numbers at times that can – that can trick you. So if you just looked at it for two and you go 23, 33, 270, touchdown clean, doesn't throw a pick. I don't know. I still think there's a lot of stuff that just seems totally off rhythm for him. Yeah, I, I think the biggest thing, that the, the biggest plus for Tua yesterday was he didn't turn the ball over. 
And I think this Miami team, elite initially early on, they're going to be led by the defense. Their defense is clearly ahead of the offense. Miami has too many, too many good, too many big time playmakers to to uh, have. I would say have that type of performance. They're going to eventually find their rhythm. But you know, Tua was definitely. Uh, I don't even know if you. I guess you'd call him ordinary yesterday, from the simple fact he just didn't turn the ball over. Yeah, and I could be totally wrong. It could be him fitting in with everybody. They were trying to get Tyreek Hill going early, but I mean Tyreek, which is I think is great how supportive and you know he's talking up his coach after going forward on fourth and seven. But there's there's just a different level here on some of that deep stuff, which is where I thought the oddity with Tyreek was that we were looking at somebody who's kind of a shorter target guy who again can get open against anyone, but. Oh, that's it's just a weird role to see Tyreek in without some more of those deep shots. Uh, probably the craziest game is Pittsburgh's win against Cincinnati. Cincinnati, if they make an extra point, uh, but their snapper was out, so there was two bad snaps at the end of regulation when they finally got into the end zone to chase. They would have won at 21-20. They would have been the first team minus five in turnovers to win a game in 10 years. Let's start with the O-line. They invested in it. We knew it was a problem last year. They still got to the Super Bowl. What did you see for Cincinnati's uh, front five, guys? It's early. It's early. You know, they, they, you know, listen, any team going against Pittsburgh is going to have a problem because, you know, Pittsburgh got some dudes over there that can rush the passer. But again, Ryan, like I, like I told you uh, in the beginning, these guys aren't playing in the preseason a lot of the times. So not just with Cincinnati, but a lot of these times, especially with the offensive line, it takes time. The first, I think you get past the month of September Guys start settling in, and they should be playing better. But, man, Joe Burrow was under siege yesterday all day. You know, T.J. Watt and every, everyone else, Cam Hayward, they were all over Joe Burrow. And and uh, actually what you saw, once T.J. Watt got hurt, their pass rush wasn't even the same. That's when Cincinnati came back, when T.J. Watt had the injury to his pec. Yeah, they still, I mean, they had – it's just brutal against Chase, and then when he's one-on-one with three to the left, and you're thinking, okay, how do you let yourself get into this situation? And then Watts out of there, where it looked like, I mean, can't believe Burrow got away from him on that third down incompletion just to get rid of the football. Watt knew immediately with the peck. Uh, he's out of there, but I mean, that was just an impossible task for Pittsburgh, and they still almost pulled it off. We were like, we got to keep you like 10 throws towards the end zone. We got to stay clean. And then finally, they hit Chase on that last one. But I felt like Pittsburgh deserved a win. You know, they really... Considering everything they had to go through, everything, I don't know that it means that much for Pittsburgh, but you're right about the front for Cincinnati. It's like, I can't believe, are they going to, like, I can't believe when Burrow survived some of these 60-minute Sunday afternoons, and that was alarming all over again. And he was throwing the ball all over the place, too. Yeah, like, you know, like, I'm not I'm not worried about Joe Burrow. I think, I think um, his eyes were all over the place. He was seeing things that he wasn't seeing the field clearly. Um, some of that just has to do with, again, not playing in preseason. I know, you know, it's going to give, you know, it's going to become redundant, but I've, I've always said that September is, is going to become an extension of the preseason. These guys got to get used to playing together, playing the amount of snaps together. And so I don't worry about Joe Burrow. I think he's going to be fine. It was just a really bad day against a really good Pittsburgh defense. Did you... I know you've taken snaps almost anywhere. Did you ever take a snap at left tackle, or was it all the other four positions? All the other four positions. I mean, I did it in practice, but I never took it in the game. Okay, can we go back? So you start your first four years with the Pats. You play center, right? And yep. what's the conversation like when in your fifth year they're like, we're going to move you to guard? Uh, it, it literally, Bill was like, listen, 
Um, you know, because I got Mike Compton broke his ankle and he said, you're, you know, you're our most versatile guy. So we need you to, you know, we need you to slide over to left guard um, so we can try to solidify, get up, put, basically put our best five out there. And so for me, I just thought to myself, Bill always used to preach, you know, like when you're, when you're versatile, you become more valuable. And so for me in my head, I'm thinking, okay, I'm about to be a free agent. You asked me to move to left guard. Hmm. That's going to help my case when I, when I hit free agency. <laughs> when I so, know these guys are going to pay me. <laughs> yeah. So I'm like, hell, sign me up. Cause that's only going, that's only going to increase my bank account. Okay. This is a very woody answer. Why I always love you as a guest because you're honesty, <laughs> but I, I never know what to believe. You know, sometimes people like talk about flights and be like, oh man, they flew this many miles. I'm like, man, once you're on the plane, it just sucks. Like, the extra right. hour add up and that's why you guys lost you know and then you know the altitude and i'll be like is it you know so there's there's always these things that are brought up and i'm not dismissing them i just wonder if we overstate their importance and when people are shuffling and it's a new o-line is it was it really that hard to move to guard for you or are you like man this is this isn't that bad at all um no it, it is a big deal it was a big um, deal okay it is a big deal. Um, you know, just when you have somebody asking somebody, hey, go move from, you know, right right guard and left guard, people think, oh, it's just, you're doing the same thing. I'm like, no, actually, it's it's muscle memory. You're doing everything on one side, now you got to train yourself to do everything on the other side. It, it takes a little time. So I will say as a, as, a, as a former lineman that, you know, making, doing positional switches, it's not easy. It takes reps. Okay. Now that's a really important part of the answer. But I think the other part that speaks to what you've already talked about is the lack of snaps, the lack of real live reps. Like I just, yeah. I get everybody hates the preseason, but I can't fathom people think this is actually better for football development when you have to know each other's tendencies too. Like, can you tell us a story about knowing knowing someone on that interior line? We were like, okay, this guy always did this. But then when I knew when I played with this guy, that it was a slightly like when you become this cohesive unit of five and you learn each other's tendencies, how does that play out when you know that I've got to think and play a little differently because the guy's next to me? Yeah. So when I was with the Jets, man, we uh, we had an incredible offensive line. And we the, the, the great thing was, see, during that time, we actually played in the preseason. We, we practiced together. Like we never like missed practice. So we played in every game. We practiced together. And it came to a point, we didn't even have to make calls. Everyone knew what, like, the next guy was doing. So, I, like, I remember one time we were playing the, the then San Diego Chargers. And I remember Sean Merriman coming up to me in the game. He's like, dude, you guys don't even talk. <laughs> like, we don't even know, like, where y'all are going. And I, and I started laughing, like, because we played together so long. So we don't need to make calls to each other. We know what each other which, what each other are doing. That's just how good we were together. Yeah, you guys scored a lot of points that day. I don't know if the defense held up. I'm, I'm trying to look through your schedules real quick there with the Jets. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> hey, listen, we, we were really good at running the ball. That was about it. I can't speak on everything else, but we were really good at running the ball. No, I, like, I, I immediately was like, let me go, let me go quickly and, and open this one up. All right, what did you see? from uh, a Packers offense. First of all, they didn't do that great against Justin Jefferson. I mean, that guy, 
I don't know if he had invisible stuff on or what, but that was a joke. I knew, I knew he, I knew he was going to go off. I knew he was going to go off because Kevin O'Connell. Yeah. Kevin O'Connell. Remember now, like Kevin O'Connell came from, he comes from that Sean McVay, you know, Kyle Shanahan tree. So you going from Mike Zimmer, who was the head coach, defensive guy, to now Kevin O'Connell and that, and bringing that offense with Justin Jefferson. So I knew going to that game, like he was like Justin Jefferson is going to be a stud all year long um, because he's going to utilize him like like Cooper Cup was, you know, Cooper Cup was being utilized in Sean McVay's offense last year. Um, as far as the Packers offense, it's basically you can sum it up right off the bat when when Christian Watson dropped that touchdown right at the beginning, right at the beginning. And yeah. you saw and you saw Aaron Rodgers like roll his eyes. And look at the, and look at Matt Lafleur on the sideline. Like, are you freaking kidding me? Like, this is what I want to deal with, you know? Because he he already has big trust issues now, and you drop a wide open touchdown. I hate to be in that meeting room today. I, I if I'm one of those receivers, young receivers, it's going to be hell. Do quarterbacks? Do guys with that kind of juice? How how bad does it get behind the scenes? At practice, when the quarterback starts to oh. lack trust in receivers, oh, it gets bad. Like, like quarterbacks like Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady, they just don't have the they don't have the patience. They will dog cuss you to death. Like, they will be all over you because they're old. They 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 know like their football mortality is is like fast approaching, so they don't have time for oh, well, we got to develop you like. Everybody don't have time to develop. Like you gotta, you gotta play well and play well now. And so for Christian Watson to come out of the gate on a wide open play, easy touchdown, and it just went right through his hands, he has no tolerance for that. Tampa was worried about their O line. Uh, I think they probably watched the film and not love what they saw. But on the other side, Dallas couldn't do anything. Any thoughts on Tampa and them being, you know, because when we talk about Tampa, we're going to hold them to a different standard because we're talking about one of the few Super Bowl contenders from the NFC. Yeah, listen, I, I thought I actually thought the Tampa Bay game plan was pretty good. Um, it didn't seem like Tom Brady was holding on to the ball too much. Um, Leonard Fournette got some, you know, did, you know, he actually ran pretty well. The running game was was halfway decent with Tampa. Um, they threw the ball to Leonard Fournette a little bit. So I, I actually was kind of encouraged. With Tampa, because I thought it could have been a other, it, it could have been a disaster right at the gate. Considering Dallas do have some guys that can get after the passer, but I thought, hell, for week one, they actually did okay, and I think that's something to build on if you're Tampa Bay. When it's somebody like Parsons, who's this much of a disruptor, right? He is in that the, that first tier dude, of guys. Go ahead. That dude, and. I hesitate to even mention his name. He could be a Lawrence Taylor type guy. Like literally. And we know, like, I hold Lawrence Taylor in the in the utmost reverence, but anyone watching Michael Parsons, like, that dude is just different from almost anybody else in the league. He's that special. He could be he could be a Lawrence Taylor type guy. Wow. I, I got to take a deep breath here because the the irony of this is I remember wouldn't that always be Bill's kind of go to where 
if somebody were pretty good, he'd be like, well, this guy isn't exactly Lawrence. Yeah, yeah, like Bill, you could, I don't know if a guy to this day could ever be mentioned in Lawrence Taylor's vicinity if you're Bill Belichick, but when I watch Michael Parsons, he, he like, yeah, he, he, he could be that. He could be that. See, this is this is something I was doing in the open on the New England part of it because it's like if you're not going to have a number one receiver ever, which you know New England didn't need with Tom, might be kind of nice with somebody like Mac, but you don't want to spend the money on it. That's okay, that's fine. And then I was like, who's their last edge disruptor who was that nasty? And I, I you know, I feel like maybe it's Chandler Jones, you know, seven years ago. But do you? I'm putting you on the spot here a little bit. But if you're thinking like the first tier of of absolute disruptors. I don't know how long that list is. I think it's if we're talking edge guys, right? It's it's both Boses. Those kid those guys are nuts. Um Yeah. I think Khalil Mack week 1 looks like it again. Nuts, right? Uh yeah. TJ clearly. Yes. Um Parsons who you you've put in that group as well. And I'm, you know, we're kind of doing this off the top of our head. I just don't know how long that list is. Like when you watch all the guys, like I always, I love Von Miller. I fucking love Von Miller. And I think it's changed look, that Buffalo front with getting pressure look, with four all night. Von Miller frees everyone else to do, to win one-on-one. He had an absolute impact for that Buffalo defense because he's a closer. And we can't, like, we haven't even thrown out Aaron Donald. And I know he's not an edge, I meant, but uh, yeah, Aaron, I just put him, Aaron right. Donald is, is the ultimate disruptor. Like, it's just almost impossible to block him. But there's only like four or five guys that I, that I consider like absolute disruptors every week, week in and week out. And Miles Garrett, we got to put him in there too. Yes. Uh, that that's took a little it. longer. Like the, yeah. the guys that we just named, that's it. There's like nobody else. Because I know, I know we're going to be leaving some people out and, and somebody that I definitely didn't give um, – enough credit to, but he's a tackle as Jeffrey Simmons, Tennessee. Like he's, he's, he's really he's, good. He's, he's not really Donald. Good. Nobody, nobody's Donald, but Nobody Simmons, Donald. Simmons is a, Hey, watch the snaps and just watch that for 15 minutes. And you're going to see another level of a guy just collapsing stuff all the time. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's, he's a different, he's a difference maker. Donald's is just in a whole different stratosphere. Okay. Last couple things here. Do you want to talk about your jets? <laughs> only if you want to put yourself through that misery we can we can both be miserable if you want yeah i, I just don't know if there's a there's a ton there honestly i thought the 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 coverage was the worst part of the game like they were just you know what the crazy thing is is like when i watched them they actually defensively played pretty well they blew two coverages and they lamar made them pay but if you look at if you look at Baltimore's numbers, their de- just defense actually played them well. They just blew a couple of assignments, but it was really the offense. Like Joe Flacco, just not it. Like, well, I he's think just not it. Right. I think we figured that. Like, I listened to a pregame of it. I happened to be in the car as I was running home for the beginning of the kickoffs, and there was a pregame where the guy was like, "You know, Flacco's probably going to want to make them you know, just remind them the regret they've moved on." I'm like, I, I think everybody's moved on. <laughs> I yeah, like, yeah. I, I like what are you think, talking about? Yeah, I'm like, are you, <laughs> are you guys serious? He's been gone since seventeen, eighteen, I think. 
So yeah. I, I think we've we've collectively moved on from that. You watched the Jets closer than I did, um, because that was not one of the ones that did not win the TV roulette assignment here at the uh, at the homestead. So yeah, I mean the the blown coverages were huge, but if you're telling me they held up better, uh, I don't know if there's a lot of positive in that one. All right, last thought here: Chicago and San Francisco. I don't know. I'm what so happy. I'm so happy for Chicago. I I, I really am. Like <laughs> Ryan. Can you see that, like, everyone everyone going into this game thought, like, Chicago's just going to be a hot mess this year, an absolute hot mess. And to go out there in the elements, both teams had to play in the elements, and they beat down, they beat down San Francisco. They made Trey Lance and company look awful. Trey Lance looked awful in that game. And so, like... I'm happy for Justin Field. I'm happy for Chicago to get a big win against a team. Let's face it, there was there's a lot of people out there feel like the 49ers are a Super Bowl team in the NFC. I take nothing from that game. I learned I learned it was a mess of a game. <laughs> it was ugly as hell. Lance, yeah, there's a lot of work to do. That wasn't exactly an unbelievable experience for him in there. And on the other side, like I was wondering if Chicago was going to score. 300 points this season. So, you know, I'm watching them going, I, I have no idea what to make of this team. And then they hit on a really busted play there. And, and you know, I hope, I hope what it is is that it's something that the Bears just have a great week and, right. and head in the right direction mentally and have right. something to feel good about instead of starting off really poorly because talent-wise, I just, I don't know how an offense are going to score that many points. And that's not even a knock on fields. Right, yeah, I, I listen. Um, weather conditions definitely played a huge role. You know, when you when you have weather like that, it's like all bets are off. Everything becomes equal, and all it takes is a play here and there, and that's how you win the game. But listen, kudos to Chicago. I mean, that's open up the season at home, get a big win. Good for them. What what is what is going to manifest into after this? Who knows? They're not a very talented team, but at least for one week, you got to feel good. My guy, uh, enjoy the rest of your day, and we'll look forward to catching up with you throughout the season. All right, Damian? All right, man. I appreciate you. This episode is supported by State Farm. So look, a little rock hit your dude's windshield on the highway. And at first, you're like, what is that? I'm like, oh, it's just a little mark. Nope. Now, by the end of the ride, it's a big crack. And it had been a while. So I check out the State Farm app. I go, hey, this is what happened. And the funny thing is, is I was like, do I want to go app first or do I call old school guy? Probably should call. It's like, let's check out the app. Not only did it take a minute to get done, they set up the glass replacement. They told me the estimate ahead of time, said, do you want to go ahead with it? And I was like, now I understand it's all in front of me, all done. I didn't even have to talk to anybody. That's how efficient the insurance game has become. But really, the only words you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, just like I did, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to somebody. The app was so good, I didn't even need to do that. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. Doubleheader Mondays, a little college ball for you. 
I feel like everybody had more to say about the Bama and Texas game than any of the other games. Uh, I'm, again, I'm not going to get to every single thing here. There's still a handful of teams that I haven't watched play a full game, um, which is unfortunate. I have to go back and watch the Baylor BYU game. And, you know, like Miami's 13th now in the polls, but, you know, I'm not going to watch them against Bethune or Southern Miss. So we'll get caught up on, on the old. That's your squad, right, right Sir Rudy? The U? I can't really claim to be a Miami fan anymore. I like them. I mean, people are not good. Me. This, I'm going to just make people dislike me even more than they already do, apparently. But I like the 2001 team. I like Ken Dorsey. And uh, I kind of, my interest has tailed off since then. Okay. All right. Totally, totally fair and, and slightly predictable. They got AM, and we'll get to AM here a little bit. But let me just um, run through a couple games, most of the stuff I was focusing, focusing on here. Uh, Bama drops the number two after the 2019 win at Texas. If Quinn Ewers, who was the number one overall player in his recruiting class, uh, if he plays Texas, wins this game, Quinn has been kind of, I don't I don't know uh I don't know how accurate I am on on knowing, you know, the anticipation. Clearly he comes in, but it was almost like the Arch Manning part of it. It was like, oh, you know, viewers, who knows how even long this guy's gonna be around. You're like, all right. First of all, back to the Ohio State part where we originally went there. I love what Ryan Day and that staff does at Ohio State. They just have decided, you know, it used to be let's take a quarterback every other cycle. So that way it helps your recruiting. So when you're going after a guy, you're like, we're only going after you. And if you're Ohio State, one of the handful of programs that can say this to a quarterback, being like, you're our guy, you're the only guy we need, and then he's likely going to pick you. But Ohio State just was like, sign him up. You know, they were like dumb and dumber, just picking up hitchhikers. Just however many quarterbacks we could get in here, we'll just figure it out. And that's what we're going to do. And then you'll compete. And then whoever wins the competition, that'll be our starter. And then if you want to transfer, we're not going to beg you to stay here. And I believe it was an article in The Athletic Lake over a year ago where I was reading about this philosophical change where it's not like I think Ohio State's the only one that's done it. It's just one of the first times that I thought about it. So you have a kid who's already transferred, and it felt like despite his recruiting profile, Ewers was still kind of like, ah, I'm not sure. And I'll admit, too, like even some guys that have worked on that level on the recruiting part of it, they're like, yeah, he's a little overrated. But I didn't know if that was just based on him being so high profile that then guys were a little bit more critical of him. Again, I saw him throw live once. I loved it. I liked his feet. I liked how calm he was. And then somebody else kind of told me, like, nah, you're, you're, you're focusing on the wrong things. I was like, all right, I guess I'm just wrong because this is not what I do for a living. I loved him in the start of this game. Uh, we could talk about the score. We could talk about the bullshit safety and the call that was then reversed where the ref made up something new where he said it was explained to me wrong. You know what? I like that. Hey, we screwed this up. It shouldn't be roughing the passer. It shouldn't be targeting. It shouldn't be either. This is a huge play in the game. Let's get it right. I'm going to say that you explained it to me wrong, and I'm just wiping the whole thing out. And that's why the broadcast was so thrown off. They're like, what? It was explained to me wrong? I want more it was explained to me wrong in reviews to get out of something that all of us can see shouldn't be called. So if you want to, on the last second field goal, win for Bama, go, well, if you'd had the safety, and then that's that's 21-20. I say this about basketball, and even more so football, we have to remind ourselves the games are played to the score. Games are played to the score, so you can't just magically write in two more points. But I thought it was a nice little reminder for the Bama-Georgia crowd, where after Georgia's threw a half a football against Oregon, and Bama's playing a game that nobody's even talking about, or watching, it's like, ah, oh, it's just going to be Bama and George again. Just going to be, and we're like, can we just watch, can we watch the end of week one? Can we watch some of the week two stuff? Is there any chance we can watch a little week two action before we're ready to just pencil in a Bama-Georgia rematch? Because I'm not ready to do it, and I think the game at Texas was a nice reminder. 
Now, is there some transitive property of all this stuff where you're like, well, wait, if Texas was able to do that to Bama, is maybe Bama in this second year of a carryover despite still almost winning a national championship? And I think having a much better chance that Jameson Williams doesn't get hurt against Georgia in the title game where Bama had a bunch of games last year where you're like, this isn't the same Bama. This is a worse offensive line. Uh, this this is a little little different. Bryce Young had to bail them out of a couple couple things in a way that we're not quite used to. Maybe this is just a warning, some sort of wake-up call, or maybe it's a sign of things to come that at some point, at some point, although it seems impossible saying this about anyone from Tuscaloosa, but at some point, these top teams are going to surprise us playing in a game where they end up losing. Uh, the receiver talent, I saw some people, guys that played, talking about the lack of receiver talent for um, for Bama. They have been on such a heater at that position that anything that looks like a drop below it is, is a significant drop-off. Just to remind you, in the last two recruiting classes, Bama's receivers were the 4th, 8th, and 12th. And then two years ago, number two guy, the number five guy, number six guy. Yes, one is transferred and another one was hurt. I'd have to think they're going to hit on at least two of those guys and to go with Gibbs at running back and having the third best overall player tackle out of his class and the Heisman guy behind center. They're still going to be pretty good. And we think the defense is really good. So again, maybe a wake up call or maybe Texas actually is at another level. They were more physical than we've seen in a long time. The outside tackling, which has always been an issue for some of these teams in the Big 12. I remember Herb Street just out loud laughing in disappointment watching a Texas Tech game years ago. We were like, does anyone tackle in this league? Like, what the hell is going on? I know Big 12 fans get mad about it, but, you know, it's kind of accurate there for a little while. I thought Texas played a more physical brand of this, and people could shit on Sark for saying, hey, this is kind of like a moral victory. I'm paraphrasing. Um, I've known, I'm not boys with him, but I've I've spent enough time with Sark that he was just going to be positive. He was going to be positive no matter what. Moving on, USC going to Palo Alto. The final score is closer, 41-28. The offense is sick for USC. The defense, though, Stanford had 33 first downs in this game, 21 in the first half. Yes, they scored two garbage touchdowns at the end, um, but their four turnovers, two of them, one was at the USC two-yard line and a pick, and then there was a fumble at the four-yard line for USC. USC has eight takeaways so far this season. That is awesome. People will also remind you takeaways are not repeatable. Uh, maybe it's for a season, maybe not season to season, but they're seventh in the country. That's where they should be. They moved up three spots. The offense is that good. And with Utah's first loss at the Swamp, where now we're like, wait, what does that one mean? Granted, they scored 73 points against Southern Utah this week uh, as a response to that loss in Gainesville. Um, but USC, even with the defensive questions at this point, feels like the best team there. Speaking of that Florida game, I liked... Anthony Richardson a lot more last week. I spent a good chunk of this pod talking him up, talking about his athleticism, but knowing when to be an athlete and knowing when to be a quarterback because I still think there's too many guys where I watch and like, you look at one receiver and then you're gone. And that long-term is not something I'm ever going to like at that position. And I thought Richardson was the opposite of that uh, in that opener against Utah. He was awful against Kentucky. So shout out to Kentucky that moves into the top 10 in both the coaches and AP. Kentucky up 11 spots for this one. I also want to remind you of kind of the bullshit detector. I've talked about production meetings with the television broadcast crew that will go and you meet with. And again, I only get a small sampling of it as a radio guy, but we would do it for game day. We'd stand outside the TV. People would look at us and be like, why the fuck are radio people here? And honestly, I agree with the TV people. But if somebody from an SID 
who liked the show was going to let us get a one-on-one for seven minutes with Harbaugh or whoever. We were going to take the time. We were going to do it. and We were going to run it in our radio game day show. But for the TV people, you spend maybe an hour in there with them. And for guys that have done this a long time, it is incredible access, but it also over the years builds up an incredible relationship. We got Fowler on Wednesday. I'm going to ask about this. Like you think if you've talked with somebody at his different stops all over the country for 20 years and you have that production meeting because you're calling that Saturday night game, like that relationship is real. It's tangible. He doesn't want to mess with you. But I think there are other times when something is new where then it can be kind of wrapped up and repackaged and sold to us during the broadcast. Because when Florida was winning this game against Kentucky, uh, the broadcast was like, you know, we spent some time here with Billy Napier. And, you know, you could just tell that, you know, there's a cohesiveness to this program that they didn't have at the end of the year last year. And, you know, last year they fell apart under Dan Mullen. And Mullen is probably out more because the guy didn't want to recruit as much as the fan base wanted him to recruit. And that's why some coaches are scared off in the SEC jobs a little bit. And they're like, I'd love to go down there, but I don't want to do that all the time. Not everybody is built for that. So they're talking on the broadcast. It was um it was McElroy and Joe Tess and they were they were you know they were kind of going like and you could just tell. They spent some time with Billy Napier. He's talking about the massive improvement. He's selling himself. He's selling the changes. He's selling the new version of this Gators program. And that's part of the broadcast because it was part of the production media. Like, you know what I mean? They were around it. They were around it for a couple of days. So I'm not saying necessarily anyone's wrong in this, but my radar immediately goes off when I start to hear these things. of so like, oh, I know what's going on. And then they didn't score any fucking points in the second half. So Will Levis solid. Uh, McShay was great to see him on the broadcast with this one as well. Richardson was terrible. He was 14 to 35, two picks. It was pretty clear late on. They didn't really trust him with having to read through any of this stuff. Uh, but a great win for Kentucky. First time back-to-back wins against Florida since the mid-70s. Notre Dame, I don't think you're going to have to worry about them being in the playoff and losing, so you can get over that one now. A&M, right up there with my Green Bay Super Bowl pick, although I'm not as worried about that one as I am A&M. They lose to App State. They lose to App State at home. You want to tell me App State's a little more talented than you realize? Okay, that's fine. Chase Bryce, remember him? Clemson, Duke, second year with App State. App State was physical. Their running back peoples went off. And there was one thing that I noticed. Uh, there's a few things I noticed. But one thing to share with you is Haynes King at quarterback, who I told you last week, I'm afraid he's going to get killed at some point because the way he runs around. This game, I was afraid he was going to get benched. Max Johnson, Brad Johnson's son, the LSU transfer, he put his helmet on on the sideline. And it was great at the broadcast because they started to show it. And I thought, all right. Is like I think Max Johnson's getting a chance at this. And then A-Chain ran back the return for a touchdown. And maybe, just maybe, they were like, all right, let's stay with this momentum here. I got to imagine that that's going to be a quick sub if A&M looks as bad behind center as they did against App State against Miami. Last thought here. Arkansas wins against South Carolina. I think Rattler looks like the same dude where I have no idea what he's doing sometimes. I heard all the right things, but just like the reliever who had a six ERA somewhere else, and you're like, oh, yeah, but if he comes here, he's going to be awesome. Um, I know he's talented. People said he's doing all the right things, got humbled. I still think he makes some throws. You're like, what are you looking at? On the other side, my favorite running back in the country might be Rocket Sanders, the sophomore. 
117 against Cincinnati, 156 against South Carolina. This is crazy, but ask yourself this question when you're watching on Saturday. How many running backs are dominating college football games? We're over it in the NFL, right? Week one, they were fresh. We've covered that. But I don't know that there's a ton of college guys, just because of the way the passing is emphasized, the kind of college running backs that are carrying football teams anymore, especially at the Power Five. And I think Sanders is that dude. The combination of his power as a runner, but also his feet, the way he can move his feet in very short spaces and then make you pay for hesitating. Um, very impressive. Might be my favorite running back in the country. Still TBD on that one, but I've really enjoyed watching him run for Arkansas. Last thought. This one's way off the radar. But in that game, South Carolina receiver Antoine Wells Jr. Transfer over for James Madison. Every year, South Carolina, whether they're awesome or they're terrible, they have one guy that you want to throw the ball to on third down and you want on your side in an alley fight. And that's who he is. He put up all sorts of numbers at James Madison. Uh, so, again, are you going to run and go look this dude up? Probably not. But if you're flipping around, you don't have anything, you're like, let me check out this receiver South Carolina Russillo was talking about. This episode is brought to you by Hulu Plus Live TV. Looking for a better way to watch live TV? Stream your favorite sports and shows on over 95 live channels with Hulu Plus Live TV. Get access to Hulu's entire streaming library, Disney Plus and ESPN Plus, all in one plan. Start your free trial of Hulu Plus Live TV today. Live TV plan required. Restrictions apply. Access content from each service separately. Learn more at Hulu.com. This episode is brought to you by Arby's. You know what I hate, hate, is after lunch, there's all this time before dinner. I hate it. So I'm always like, do I do this? It's like, you should. Gain season. Throw in a little something extra. An appetizer that just starts hours before dinner. It just gets so frustrating when there aren't great options. That's where Arby's new two for $5 chicken wraps come in. Available in your choice of ranch, barbecue, and honey mustard. They're perfect for that afternoon snack attack or as an add-on to your meal. Food buddies. Arby's two for $5 chicken wraps are here for a limited time at participating locations. Visit an Arby's near you or order ahead on the Arby's app. You want details? Fine. I drive a Ferrari. 355 Cabriolet. What's up? I have a ridiculous house in the South Fork. I have every toy you can possibly imagine. And best of all, kids, I am liquid. So, now you know what's possible. Let me tell you what's required. Life advice. Lifeadvicerr at gmail.com. Always want to share with you some of the uh, interaction stuff. The Saruti looks like defending him, not defending him. Big Cat's the worst. A lot of people have a lot of thoughts, but I would say almost all of it is positive in defense of... Now I feel like it wasn't really that negative for this entire crew to rise up in defense. Like, were your feelings hurt for multiple days, Kyle? No, it was it was like the shock factor, you know? Yeah. Sort of like, yeah. wait, did you just smack me, bro? Now what do I do? It was sort of like that. Um, it was yeah. more shocked than, than sad. Yeah. Shock you were, and awe. You were Chris Rock at the uh, at whatever that was. Was it the Oscars? Whatever it was. Wow. Now now I feel like we're going back towards sad. But thanks for that. <laughs> was he sad? I think he played it off pretty well. He was just like, "What the hell, dude?" And then, and then he came out looking like the good guy and all that. So you're good. Yeah. Right. So there's just there's just a lot, a lot of chatter 
it's, I don't know if hundred percent is accurate, but it's, you imagine if somebody's writing life advice and then sending in the emails and then I'm getting them and it's just a lot of people being like, Hey, so Let's shout out to, shout out to all of you. I was never result. worried about Kyle's approval rating on the pod. I can't yeah, right. think about it. I, <laughs> I think we're good there. <laughs> Honestly, if you were to, I'd probably have the lowest of the three. So, <laughs> you know, just because I'm out there, I'm, I'm letting it fly. Uh, especially after the tool one where I was like, are you really going to say this? I'm like, yeah, that's kind of how I feel. New system, whatever, figuring it out, getting healthy. You throw any excuses you want at me. So, all right. I uh, also want to let you know that, that Justin chimed in and that he wrote, about the ease of buying a Tesla, and he cited Blake Bortles uh, talking about how easy it was to just build his own Tesla, buy it, and then it showed up at his house the next day. So that was in his uh, in one of his marketing classes. So he cited. So actually, oh, wow, we're a source. We're not just changing. Yeah, we're, we're not just changing source. lives, <laughs> dude. We're a periodical. All right. <laughs> I had something that was sourced once for that massive Vermont voting disparity thesis that made me sound cool, but it just was long. And then I argued about the grade and the guy bumped it up like uh, almost a full letter grade. And, uh, you know, we real tur- really turned around the GPA there later on. But I think I actually was such a D-bag at one point that I told a girl that I was cited in a political thing because <laughs> the guy was like, I'm going to use that one thing that you did have. That was good. <laughs> and when you're desperate and you have nothing that makes you stand out and you're like 23 and she was like, do you want to be a writer? I was like, yeah, well, you know, I had this political thing that I worked on and it was cited and you know, whatever it sounds it's an amazing sentence and how fucking cool it sounds it may be the most worthless thing i've ever shared with anybody <laughs> all right just put that in your twitter bio yeah once <laughs> once worked on a thesis my thesis was cited in something that i can't find and i told people in my early 20s <laughs> Okay, let's do this. It's about swearing. Too much fucking cursing. Hi, 5'10", 215, muscular dad bod, but looking to lose weight for Halloween. What are you going? Is a slutty dad? <laughs> slutty Peyton Manning. <laughs> oh, he's going off. He's going to Thor. I'm, I look, man. You're going to Thor. Get the arms I ready. Wish I, could go, I wish I could dress up as Thor every day. Uh, he already printed 3D printed Stormbreaker and I'm finalizing the painting. Uh, now I just need to lose some inches off the midsection to complete the look. 3D printing enthusiasts are like CrossFit guys. We need to talk about it wherever we can. I had no idea. I'm not in that world. Saruti? Nope. No idea. That's great. Kyle, you friends? There's not one guy that's a 3D printer that hangs out at the Frolic Room? Uh, no, I think those guys usually have a little more disposable income if you're getting a 3D printer. I think uh, I think most of the folks at Frolic are on a budget somehow. But uh, I think I mean you could you could make anything with a 3D printer, right? Maybe you could, maybe you should hit me up, dude. I've got some I got some stuff. I wonder if you could just make. That's cool. Awesome. That'd be unbelievable. <laughs> if Frolic room like during happy hour had 3D printing, and you could just print axes and swords, and then be like, there you <laughs> or go. whatever, man. However big a printer yeah. you got, yeah. Hit me up. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not, I don't know a lot about it, so I'm out. I don't have no, by the way, speaking of not knowing, where's this email going? All right, the reason I emailed, my brother can't stop fucking cursing. Okay, look, we grew up army brats and my brother did eight years in the Air Force. Cursing is in our DNA, but I have two kids, my daughter being four years old, and I would rather not have to explain to her preschool teacher why she learned the phrase, get dicked fucker. <laughs> <laughs> what region is that? 
Uh, that sounds very military. Anyway, uh, we try and do Sunday dinners at least twice a month. My parents, my brother, his wife, and two girls live literally next door. So Sunday dinners are a family thing. It's not usually a big issue. He does throw a lot of F-bombs, but the kids are usually playing, so they don't hear that many of them. But when his giants are playing, every other word is fuck or some other creative variation. My kids are four and eight, where his daughters are eight and ten. They're a little older and used to it by now. I curse a lot when I'm working but it's in my office and I can make a point to not curse around my kids, especially my four-year-old. What the hell do I do? I've tried to ask him to tone it down, but that doesn't go anywhere. I don't want to stop family dinners, but it's gotten old at this point. Uh Uh-oh. I like cursing as much as the next guy, but when every other word is the F word, it just gets ridiculous. Just tonight, my daughter had to cover her ears because he let out a blood-curdling string of profanities when the Giants won their game. I also know it bothers my wife, but she's never said anything. Wow, that's a keeper. Nice. Um, I can tell even though she hasn't said anything, you can just sense the irritation when he's screaming it at the top of his lungs. Thanks for taking the time to read the email. I've been a fan for a long time. Um, okay. All right. Yeah, it's a tough one. You know, some people are t- like, I swear too much, but I, my, one of my first jobs, I was in a restaurant and then I bartended forever. When you work in the service industry, you swear all the time. My parents actually didn't swear a lot. I didn't swear in front of my parents until like my twenties. Right. Again, I was also the oldest. So the oldest does all the breaking in. We are the snowplow of the siblings experience. And so I, I oddly didn't swear that much growing up. And then for whatever reason, once the bar, t- I just, I swear too much now on the pod, I swear all the time. Maybe it's cause I didn't swear for 15 years on the air, but it was weird. Like when you were on the air, you just, I was always worried about it. It's just like a thing goes off in your head. Now I feel like I'm jinxing myself if I ever end up on uh, some show that's not allowed you to swear. I kind of use the grand. I've talked about this before. It's kind of like being around grandparents. Like if I were dating somebody and she was like, I want you to introduce my grandparents, I wouldn't be like, this place is the fucking tits. Thanks for having (laughs) us. Like I wouldn't say that. I would know not to say that. But some other people are weird about it. I remember a youth basketball league. uh, One of my buddies, again, Justin Foran, NYU hoops legend. He was swearing so much in the back of the car and I was like 14 and he was 15 and we stopped to get Gatorades and I was like dude you're saying fuck every other word in the car with my dad and that's just not how we roll and he's like I am he had no idea and he was just the kid was so hyped we'd had like a good game he's like that guy couldn't fucking guard me couldn't fucking guard he's just screaming I think my dad might have just kind of thought it was cool or what because it was like not my kid so it's hard to break this habit because some people can stop themselves. But in this case, it sounds like your brother can't. He just he just can't yeah. stop himself. So I think the only way to do this is to schedule a very important meeting where it has to do with his work, your pitching, your 3D. You just say, hey, is there any way we can get a meeting with this guy? I'd like to at least talk to him about something. It doesn't mean anything down the road. You swear, You show up to that meeting and you swear like you've never sworn before in front of him. Ruin the relationship on the business side of things. Blow the sale. Blow whatever deal it was that you didn't even care about because that's not really what this is about. You swear so much that it's absurd to prove some sort of point to him. And it still may not work. But that's what I would do. Yeah, I think it's hard. It's definitely hard. Uh, like when you, you brought up the grandmother thing, I went uh, when we went to New York, I went to meet her, her old, like, you know, 80s Colombian grandparents, old school. And she was like, do not curse in front of these people. I was like, yeah, I, I barely fucking curse at all. And she's like, yeah, OK, please don't. I was like, OK, we get there. I'm like, wow, it's really nice in here. It's so nice. Oh, it's fucking hot. It's like, fuck, two, a minute in, I was like, oh, it's fucking hot in here. 
<laughs> and then, but then and I was like, oh, no. they don't have AC. They don't have AC. And they just had like three fans. I was like, oh, it's fucking hot in here. And then and she gave me the look and it's like, okay. But like sometimes maybe you just need the reminder. So, so it sounds like he's not into the reminder, right? And I think when it comes to kids, like there's a couple, there's more things you can justify saying, you know? And if the kids are like kind of into it, you'd be like, hey, this is Uncle John's swear jar. Like if as long as he's around, like go ahead and bother him with that or whatever. Just start writing, make him write IOUs. Like, I don't know. I don't know how many, how many things you could do, but I think, you know, kids are a little cuter with it. I think maybe you bring back the swear jar or, you know, I don't know. It sounds like it's going to be really difficult because it is hard to stop. But if you care, you'll stop or you'll at least the try. Problem, the only problem with the swear jar is like, then you're bringing more attention to it. Now, like the kids are going to know, like, oh, like, you know, when he says this thing and some money goes in there, they know they're not supposed to say that. Like, maybe they could at least, you could at least be oblivious to it at the start. And say, oh, you know, like it's just him and they're not going to repeat this stuff. But I, I would want to bring more attention to it if you're really worried about your kids saying this stuff at school. Um, but I don't know. Yeah, like I guess like, you know, the only, the only way we've done this so many times and so many different life advices was like, what are you annoyed about? We'll just do that to the other person and make them and put them in your shoes. It may work. It may not work. Um, hot take on swearing, by the way. I think people who swear too much. I, it's just I don't, I don't think when you swear like every other word, it just doesn't have the impact that that it should like meaningful swearing should be when you drop it at very meaningful and specific times and then people know you're not fucking around no pun intended um i just I, the, the swearing like all the time guy like i just don't i don't understand like is that that's like a personality i don't understand like why that's a thing because if you swear all the time it becomes like white noise to other people yeah it's fillers not to yeah, like if you're honestly, on but... if you're on twitter and saying every player is awesome all the time and never being negative <laughs> i'm like okay we what, what are you talking about so um I swear more than I want to. I've heard it's, you know, everybody's like, oh, it's a sign of intelligence. But I like to, based on what you're just saying, like in an open, I'll like to drop one or two in there yeah. to really hammer home the point. Mm -hmm. So it's almost like I'm doing it for the the part of it where it's like, man, a good F word placed right can really hammer home a point. Um, so I'm not going to swear every other sentence in the opens. You know, I'll do it with a guest more often than not. I don't know. Uh, the other thing you could do, because the kid part is the part, like I would hope, whatever at this point, who knows, but. I wouldn't want to be swearing in front of my kids. But then every now and then I'll visit other people with younger kids and the parents either completely care about it or don't care about it. And when they don't care about it, I'm almost like, okay, that's a little weird. But the thing is, is all your kids are swearing. Your kids yeah. are swearing in the back of the bus. You know, nine, 10 years old, you think they're not. They're all swearing all the time already. And if they don't learn it from you, they're learning from the kids. The back of the bus is, is like the, the absolute catalyst to your kid becoming a shithead. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah, like well, it is more more happens there the evolution of your child than any other thing that you can control. So <laughs> I, I don't and again, I don't know what the commuting is for for a lot of the students out there. I'm not on top of that. But my point is, is like, I think it's kind of like everybody's different. I'm not even saying anybody's right or wrong. Like I know somebody who the kid swears when he's at home and he's really young and the person's just like, whatever, like as long as he doesn't do it at school. And I'm like, wait, how do you know that he doesn't do it at school? Right. Yeah. And so. The, maybe the best move would be kind of the Queen Cersei like shame deal where you tell your daughters every time, you know, uncle, whoever, I guess, I don't know what his, his phrasing be here. Um, he would. Yeah, he's uncle. Yeah. Um, God, I'm getting bad at the old family trees. Maybe I should do one again. Just run up to him and go swear, you know, have the two kids trained like every time he swears, run and yell at him that he's swearing. But don't ever say the swears. But I don't think any of that's going to work. 
But then you got to yeah. give them like candy or something too. You got to you have you have to incentivize the kids too. Like has, they have to be getting something out of that. So like if then, they you know, call him on it, like I don't know, they get a chocolate bar or something. And they do. Oh, thing. kids Maybe. love fucking with people too. For start part of my friends, but kids like it's like you hey, you got to give them a speech to point at your uncle. Yeah, whatever. He hates it. Ha- keep, keep it going. Ha- to your point though, Ryan, have you noticed there is like an increase in like kids swearing content? I feel like on TikTok and like Instagram, whatever. Like I don't, I just assume all parents let their let their kids swear now. And also, you mentioned like kids at the back of the bus. Like all these kids have the internet now and have had it for like the last two decades. I just assume kids know everything. Like I, I don't. It, it must yeah. be. I mean, I guess I'll find this out sooner than later since daughter's doing about a month and a half. But uh, I just assume kids know pretty much everything you don't want them to know. Yeah, yeah. I way think way earlier than you want them to know it. You know. Yeah, I think that's that's kind of the way it works. Like I remember. Um. You know what? I'm not going to tell the story because it's, it's just too weird. It's too weird. It was an elementary school teacher that made some reference to like, you know, it was like a dick joke and we were like 10 and it was creepy that she told it. Well, that's and then I, Yeah, right. So I'm just, you know, we're going to move on. We're going to move on from that one. And by the way, this guy's going to be swearing. He's going to be swearing all season. He has to watch Daniel Jones. Next one. Not inviting friends to a group trip. Uh, I read this one, but I do like this one. I sent this one over. All right. Don't use my name. Okay. We won't. He's replaced all the names, so we don't have to do that. A uh, huge fan, 34, 6'4", 250, with no redeemable measurements. I don't know, man. 6'4", 250? You know why I remember reading this one? It's because I think there's another question that has nothing to do with this email that we should try to develop an answer for, and that is, what is the size where when you're that size and north of it, nobody fucks with you? I think 6'4", 250s. That's could, the you say, could you say 6'3", 250? Maybe, but it's not six two. I think six four and like two forty and up. I think six forty. I'm gonna I'm gonna propose this six four, two forty. If you're a if you're a an eighth or a pound under those, somebody still thinks they got a chance. I think six four two forty and anywhere up beyond that, nobody fucks with you. Not nobody. I mean, there's plenty of guys out there having too many white claws, but you get the point. Like, just random parking spot. That's how I measure everything. Two guys, parking spot. <laughs> we're parked in the middle of the street. I'm in the, no, you're an asshole, whatever. We're getting out of the cars. What size makes you get back in your car and go, the spot is yours? I think 640, 240 and up. I could change I, my mind, but that's no, where I I'm think, at. I think that's fair. I mean, for me, it's probably smaller because I'm the smallest one, but, uh, Six four two fifty was always like the go to. Is like that's a big dude. That's a dude that. It's a big like guy. A it's a guy you don't. Fuck yeah, with. yeah, that's bouncerish. I don't like that. Kyle, do you think would you would you dispute six the six four two thirty rule? No, I mean if I if I if it's avoidable, I'm I'll avoid it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, that's that's. I think that's it. Be like, oh, what that? You know, you're talking to some girl, the ex, like, oh, you know, oh, really? I'll straighten him out. And then he shows up, he's 6'4", 240, and you're like, hey, dude, you doing anything this weekend? Yeah, in high school, when you're that size, people are like, you play basketball, you probably like basketball, right? Or something like, when you're that size and you're like in a regular life, they'll be like, oh, you're like, you were in security or something. It's like, you know, it's like, it was just like, people are like, you don't, <laughs> Wait, you, you don't play basketball. Little, well, I'm just, a little point. it just, right. it looks, it looks, it's a bouncer stereotype. That's all I mean. It's like, you look like, wow, you must be making this work for you in your life or something. You throw motherfuckers out of bars, don't you? Did we spend too long on this? Perhaps. Is it really important? I believe that it is. So for him to say no redeemable measurements, you yeah. already feel way better. Yeah, you're good. Whatever, whoever wrote this email, this guy's day just gets supercharged. 
pretty average at any athletic event, but ro- bro- <laughs> won't bring the team down. Tell you what, I tell you what, if there's a fracas though, this guy's gonna follow up being like, actually, I I get my ass kicked regularly. I don't know. <laughs> All right, so he says he knows his role. The point of the email. I promise we'll get there. Three years ago during the pandemic, my family and I rented an Airbnb to spend time with another family who are very close with, uh, we were very close with, and they recently had their first child. Uh, They live in Nashville. We live in Charlotte. So we found a place halfway between us to catch up for a long weekend. We wanted to celebrate their first child, and they had not yet met our second child. This is amazing. I love this. Can't wait to start doing stuff like this. For context, (laughs) I've been friends with the husband of the couple since I was six. All right. That's a long time. That's 28 years by my count. Uh, we were both at each other's weddings. You can call him Mark. We both married and ended up living near each other in Charlotte for a decade. Our wives also grew very close and probably talked to each other more than Mark and I. All right, so this is a real Gatsby situation. We had a blast during our trip and decided we would make it an annual thing. The next year, we found a house that accommodated our families. The house was perfect size and provided space for fun family activities uh, while also allowing the adults to catch up while the kids are playing alone, sleeping, etc. In a plot twist, Mark's sister, we call her Katie. I'll write this down, Katie. Dot, dot, dot. Learned about the trip and was very upset. For the record, we weren't trying to keep the trip a secret. She called Mark during the trip. Again, Mark's sister's Katie. She cried and told him she was offended she wasn't invited. I should add that Katie and her husband also live near us in Charlotte, and we are close. That said, there are many times where Katie and her husband visit Mark and his family without us being invited. Granted, it's the guy's sister, but whatever. Uh, we're certainly okay with that. Her reaction took us back, took us aback, but we all moved on. Um, the time has come for our third annual trip. We've decided we want to stay at the same place because the area we were targeting has few rentals, and we know we like it. Nothing better than when you know the lay of the land, and it's a place you want to go back to. You know, it's that whole sophomore year feel. It's amazing. You're like, I'm the king of this place because I was here for <laughs> six months, not that long ago. Um, we want to keep it to just our two families again because one the house could accommodate another couple that seems like you solved your problem right there two if we opted for a different house uh, we live a much different lifestyle as an example they'll sleep until 10 or later and our kids are going to wake up at 7 and we don't want to tiptoe around the house no shit although if I'm a married couple with no kids and I think I'm sleeping till 10 while there's young kids around then I'm the asshole for thinking that I'm supposed to be able to sleep until 10 so again, I'm favoring, I'm, I'm two for two here. I'm on your side. This house won't fit another couple. They have a different lifestyle. They want to sleep in late. Hey, if you know anything about kids, and I know plenty, kids don't care about your schedule. Three, we really enjoy the time with just this couple. It gives us a once a year opportunity to catch up and invest in each other's lives. We still live in the same city as Katie and Katie and Mark see each other many times throughout the year. I have two questions. Are we the jerks for not wanting to extend the invite to others? I can't believe you're even asking yourself that question. You are not a jerk. Everything you've laid out here, I could not be more on your side. Two, would you get ahead of the argument by letting Katie know the trip is happening, tell her it's happening if it naturally comes up, or avoid lie about the trip entirely? Full disclosure, I've been pushing to proactively tell Katie, but have found the least amount, uh, but I've had the least amount to deal with it. Oh, meaning he wants to tell her because it's not his sister. Mm. He doesn't, right? Uh, Katie would be more upset with her brother than the wives. So I am in the least compromised position. That said, wouldn't it be better to tell her what we were doing in an annual trip and move on? I don't know if I've ever agreed with an email more. 
Okay, clearly they're dealing with a dynamic where Katie's only seeing this one way. She's only seeing it as being left out. And when people who have like big time FOMO throughout life, they kind of go through life thinking like, oh, I was invited to this shit or whatever. And look, it sucks not getting invited to stuff. All right. Now, there's a bunch of different reasons why sometimes you get invited. Sometimes you suck to hang out with. All right. That's fair. At other times, if you don't work hard enough to stay with the group, like I unfortunately right after college did my own thing to such a degree that I stopped getting invited to stuff from the college group. And because early on, I never had any money. So I bailed on trips. And then it was like, hey, Ryan's uh, not able to take a trip guy because he never has any fucking money. And all he ever does is watch games and plan this career that he thinks is going to work out. All right. So I had to kind of like work at that again. And then I started going to visit people when they had kids and all this stuff. And now I think I'm considered like a tier one loyal guy out of that group. But I was out of the mix because I put myself out of the mix. All right. So there's a bunch of different reasons why. The other is convenience. Sometimes people that really like you book stuff together and it just is easier to do it that way, which this clearly is. So yes, you have the least to deal with by being proactive, but it does suck to find out that you're not getting invited. And clearly she has worked through her head the opposite of what is real rational thought in this email. She is irrational. She is only seeing this one way as if there's some vendetta or there's other reason um, that you don't want her to be there. And she clearly wants to be part of the mix. So here we go. Solution time. Solution time. Here's what you do. Everybody, whether it's Mark, sounds like it's going to be Mark here, right? His sister. Hmm. Let's go, hey, guess what? We're getting that house again. The house only sleeps four. We found another listing right near there for you and your husband. It'll be awesome. And they're probably going to say no. They're probably going to say no because she's got it in her head that she's supposed to be in the house with everybody else. Uh, and if they're in another house and you're sharing this house, you're still going to get so much of that couple's time and you're going to have the kids. They go sleep in late. You're having coffee, reading the paper, talking about the Dow Jones. I mean, that sounds like a great time there. So I would offer her an option because it's it's really funny how how people can and I have some examples of this. I'm not going to get too specific with it where it's like, okay, so you want to be, I'm offering you up an option here, but what you're really showing me is that you wanted to be lazy about it or you didn't want to pay for it or you just wanted to be included in, in this house that makes it way more inconvenient. So you don't care about inconveniencing us. Like your, your motivation is different. If it's really about spending time with us and you, that's what you want to do and you don't want to be left out of it, you go book a fucking Airbnb, you know, you get on. It's not Verbo, apparently. It's just VRBO. Yeah, is that true? Surprising. Oh, yeah. I've been saying yeah. Verbo the whole time, but I think, I, yeah, I, I believe that's the case. So you just go, hey, here are the here's the outline. Here are the listings, and you know, head pick one. And if she picks one, you still pull off everything that you want to pull off. But my bet, knowing Katie here now for about seven minutes, is that she'll be like, oh, well, no, I wanted to be in the house, and you go, okay, well, we can't doesn't fit and we've got the kids and all this stuff so we'd love to have you why don't you like a grown-up katie rent your own house within the vicinity but i bet she doesn't any other any other ways to look at this Kyle? well if i was this guy I, this would be like a confrontation i'd be looking forward to having and not in like a bad way not in a bad way at all like not like oh, i can't wait to tell you why you're fucking stupid for this but it's just when you're like I don't know. Again. I don't think it's that. Yes, yeah, swearing again. Um, it's fucking hot in here too. And when, like, <laughs> when it comes to stuff like this, like, it's like, this is like a best friend thing. Like, it just it would be kind of weird. I have a great relationship with my sister. Um, we love hanging out. But if it's like me and my best buddy were doing a thing, and she's like, "Well, why not me?" It's like it, 
if I if it was me and I was Mark in the situation, I feel like it, this wouldn't be that hard. It'd just be like, hey, listen, this is like Mark. a best friend thing. Like what? Like what? What aren't you get? Maybe you maybe you thought this was like a just like a, a, like we're not having a cookout here. We're not like everybody come up for the day or whatever. Or you want to do that? When we used to go to Long Beach Island, our grandparents would come up for the day. They'd spend a night in Atlantic City and then they'd hang out on the beach with us. Like there's a there's a way where you can work that out. It's like, hey, you want to come and visit while we're on our little thing? We'd like to make you a part of it for a day. I just think there's so many ways that that like you're got, you got whether it's you or Mark. If you guys are aligned in your thinking, you guys are both in the right. So I think I think you could kind of approach this fast and loose as long as nobody gets mean, like, hey, you're not wanted, Katie. As long as you kind of don't say it that way, even though it's kind of the truth. Like, I, think, I don't I think, think they're, they're wanted. I, clearly, they're cool with hanging with her other times. But in this specific scenario, that's what I mean. That's what I mean. In yeah, this, thing. In this yeah, best yeah. friend getaway, like it's not like we don't want you to enough that we're going to try to try a new place that, you know, we like this place enough that we don't we don't want to like uproot it just so we can get you in the mix for this. Hey, by the way, thing. my college reunion is coming up. We're still not sure who's in the mix or how many people are going. All right. There's one group that I know will do like a dinner or lunch together because one of the guys doesn't like me and I'm not going to be in it. I don't give a shit. Okay, but they have this thing, this group that they're going to want to be like, let's make sure we do like a group about our group. And this will just be our group mixed in with all these other things. Again, I'm not even sure how many guys are going. It sounds like there's got a lot of guys that are going to be flaking. Uh, the reunion is near my one living grandparent. So I'm going to make this move because I wasn't able to post international travel. Um, but, uh, you know, again, I'm older and I don't care. So. I don't know. Don't I wouldn't worry about her this much, man. I think you've made a very, very compelling case for your position on this one. Yeah, I don't. I don't have much to add. I think uh, I wouldn't lie to her. I would just try to do other shit outside of whatever this is. Just if you, if, if this is your thing, you should be happy doing what you want to do. If she wants, as you said, if she wants to rent a house around there. That's fine. If not, don't want to bog you down. But do try to like ex- do other shit with her and extend an invite to some other stuff where you know she doesn't feel completely left out. But don't lie to yeah. her. Honestly, I, I don't know that I want to hang out with her all that much after the email, but anyway. <laughs> yeah, that was the one part of the question I forgot to answer was that I wouldn't not tell her. I wouldn't tell her. I would just be like, this wasn't you. Like, this wasn't you last year. It's not you this year. Yeah. It's not going to be you in the future unless you want to. Oh, yeah. Do you want to try to do something? But I wouldn't I wouldn't do anything if I were you. I wouldn't try to tell her. I wouldn't try to hide it. I would just be like, I'm sorry. I was just didn't even think about it. We already had booked it. By the way, we got a sponsor now for Life Advice uh, on top of everything else. I know we've had a couple here, but. Today's life advice is presented by Snickers. Sometimes you're out of sorts and make a mistake that could have been avoided if you just had a Snickers. So let's do a gym one. I actually think the mistake may have been made from the other party, the offending party here, not the emailer. Hey, guys, uh, we've got a gym on campus at the company I work for that I use a couple times a week. It's usually not too crowded because it's a work gym. People are typically conservatively dressed, pretty polite, except for one ass clown. Uh Uh-oh. We got a we got a real ass clown alert here. I was in the middle of benching, nothing crazy. Three sets of twelve at one eighty five. I love that routine. Twelve. Let's get let's get one ninety five for twelve though. You know, I'm starting to do that at the end. Anyway, this isn't about my workout. Anyway, back <laughs> to Snickers. Uh, in the middle of the rep, I noticed a guy talking to me. I had my AirPods in, so I couldn't hear anything at first. He looked angry, so I put the bar down and took out my AirPods. I could hear him. He asked, "How many more sets do you have?" In a rude tone, I said, "Don't know." And I put my headphones in and went back to benching. I knew full well that I only had one and a half sets. Left. <laughs> yeah, no, that's right. <laughs> oh, wait. So he was in the middle of the set and he stopped. 
because that's what he means by saying only one and a half sets left, but didn't want to give him the satisfaction of getting a real answer. He then proceeded to sit down at a bench across from me and watch me until I was done. I was so pissed, but didn't want to make a scene, so I intentionally took very long time between sets and did a couple extra sets just to piss him off. He then took my spot after I left, and no words were exchanged. This is insane behavior on his part, right? Simple answer, yes. Is, it, is there a more complicated option? No. This is, this is, this guy sucks. I also tend to go through my workouts pretty quickly, only taking a minute or two between sets. That's great. Always want to keep around 90 seconds unless you're going really heavy. But again, scholars argue there's a certain rest period that it's, you know, maybe you shouldn't take that long. I don't know. I've seen some deadlifting people who take fucking two days for this, for the next set. Is that a rookie mistake? I don't know. Uh, no, that's, I, that's, I, I think I'm a seasoned vet that's going to deadlift for, Fucking three-day weekend. All right. So it should have been an issue with me hogging the equipment. Not to mention, this guy was going to do three reps, uh, 12 reps of 185, three sets, one to two minutes in between. This guy was going to be done in less than six minutes. So not to mention, there was an open bench right next to me. I'm Now I'm starting to wonder what's wrong with this guy. Um, overall, the gym was pretty empty. What should I do next time I see him if he does any other weird antics? Do I have a responsibility to call him out? It's a workplace, so I don't want to be too confrontational, but that was crazy behavior, in my opinion. I also feel like I can't let him do that type of thing again. I'm also an HR, so maybe I fire him. Just kidding. <laughs> I have literally zero power or authority. I was going to say, wait, you're an HR and you think you can fire him? <laughs> and then he immediately confirmed my first thought as the beginning of that last paragraph ended. Yeah, you're right here, man. That's that's crazy. And it makes me think he's the rookie. Little spin on old Snickers here. Uh, I think he's the rookie. I think he probably doesn't lift a lot. And he's just in there and he had no idea what to do. Was it, you know, I could work in some inclined dumbbells. If somebody's in your spot, you can sometimes, you know, you go to the gym, you get a plan, you get to adjust the plan. You know, get an audible. Like, cool. I'm going to go decline cables today because it's super busy. So, rookie mistake, maybe you just need a Snickers. Snickers, official chocolate bar sponsor of the NFL. Check out snickers.com slash rookie mistake. Thanks to Saruti. Thanks to Kyle for today's podcast. Ryan Russillo podcast, Ringer and Spotify. Chris Fowler later this week. Excited about that. Please rate, review, and subscribe. Talk to you Wednesday. This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, enter the kingdom in IMAX on May 10th and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now.